Hello and welcome to the Omaha Podcast. In today's episode, I talked to Jasmine Harris. Her campaign focuses on criminal justice reform and public safety. She started her career with a degree in public health and started working on preventing tobacco and alcohol use in teens. She went on to be an executive at Rise, a nonprofit that helps incarcerated people start a new life before and after they're released from prison. Please enjoy our conversation. Let's talk about your nonprofit, Rise. Can you tell us about that? Awesome. So I am the director of policy and advocacy with a nonprofit here called Rise. And what we do, we work with people who are incarcerated and who are coming out of incarceration. We run a six-month program in seven of the 10 Nebraska correctional facilities. And our program focuses on employment readiness, character development, and entrepreneurship. And so when I first started at Rise, uh, back in 2017, um, we were under a national umbrella. So at that time, we were called the Five Ventures. And I came in as the program release manager. So my job was to really work with people as they were coming home after incarceration to work on, um, if they didn't complete our program, finishing our program on the outside, helping them with employment, um, getting housing, um, just their reentry needs at, at the time. And because we were so new, it wasn't that many people who were coming out. And as we grew, we departed from the national organization and uh, started locally under RISE. And we were able to have freedom of the things that we wanted to do outside of having to uh, be under a framework of a national organization. So that allowed us to offer different uh, program pieces, especially the reentry team that we have. We offer case management services. Um, we start working with people about six months prior to their release date. And so it really hones in on all of the skills that they've learned throughout the program and their uh, re-entry plan that they created. And we walk alongside them and help them implement that plan. And um, this year or 2020 with the pandemic, it really um, took a toll as we know when people come home after incarceration, a lot of times it's in crisis mode anyway, because we're having to find housing, we're having to find um, where they're going to get their next meal, things like that. And then the pandemic just really exacerbated a lot of those things that people struggle with when coming home after incarceration. So our program, um, we, we're kind of like um, an inside-outside model. So with the program on the inside, as we're going through this um, curriculum and people are really digging into who they are, um, dealing with a lot of guilt and shame and um, how do they offset that? How do they take their employment and create um, a resume and talk about their incarceration and in interviews? But the other part of it is that with the entrepreneurship, everyone gets to create a business idea and they work through that business idea. And we have a Shark Tank style pitch competition at the end of the six months that culminates with graduation. And we have winners who get IOUs of funding. Uh, when they come home, they can use it on their reentry, or if they have longer sentences, they can um, dedicate it towards a nonprofit. So um, we're building community. And one of the things pre-COVID, we were able to take volunteers into the correctional facilities and um, 
um, get people to see people for who they are. And that's just people, regardless of if they're incarcerated or if they've never been incarcerated. So it's really building that empathy piece and preparing community for when people come home, because that's a big barrier as well. Community isn't uh, welcoming or um, as open armed as we should be when people have done what we asked them to do and complete and pay their debt to society um, by being incarcerated. So it's really a great organization um, and we're just expanding and growing right now. We've um, started our business academy on the outside. So people who have gone through our program, they're able to start digging into if they're serious about starting their business. And um, it's, it's pretty cool that we have people who are home and who are really on that path to success and, and they're thriving in the way that they see success and thriving is for them. So it's amazing. And I understand that you had a career before you got involved in RISE, right? Yes. Um, my, I graduated from UNMC with my master's in public health, and I started working in substance use prevention uh, through coalitions and um, other organizations here in Omaha. So really focusing a lot on how do we prevent youth from using? And um, a lot of policy advocacy work came with that. Um, so that's where that skill set came from, where I was able to see how in uh, like alcohol, underage alcohol prevention um, and tobacco prevention, how they use policy and advocacy to advance their uh, efforts. And so being able to take that skill set and transfer it over into the work that I do with criminal justice reform, um, it really gave me a foundation to build from. So I was working with um, the Live Wise Coalition um, and MOTAC, which is the Metro Omaha Tobacco Action Coalition. And I worked at Creighton University. So I was a health educator and did um, some other things like with health and wellness as well, um, getting people physically active. So taking a large role in how do we address underlying conditions in our community that impact the quality of life of people. So you mentioned criminal justice reform. What ideas do you have on how the justice system could be better or more effective? Yeah, criminal justice reform, when people say, well, what is that? I was like, you have to pick a uh, system. You know, criminal justice reform is the overall umbrella. But when we're talking about reforming, you have to pick a system. Um, and there's going to be different ideas and different things that are going to work. So um, on the front end, you're talking about how do we prevent people from coming into contact with law enforcement? There has to be law enforcement reform. There has to be uh, judicial and court reform, uh, sentencing reform. Um, there's prison reform. And then uh, reentry, when you're talking about parole, there's reform that can happen there too. And the other piece that I throw in there is community because that's a lot of that reentry piece. So it just all depends on which part of the system that you're talking about and um, things that you want to see reformed or, or dismantled or addressed. And some of the things being a director of policy and advocacy, I'm able to start looking at some of those different um, policies that can go into place, um, things that we're trying to fight. So on the prevention side um, or, or on the front end side, one of the things I'm involved with now is um, elimination of cash bail. That's a reform that we can start really looking at. And how do we prevent uh, people who are coming into contact with law enforcement and therefore being funneled into the county jails, which are overcrowded as well? Uh, people who can't afford to get out on bail with a $5,000 bond, which means here in Nebraska, they only have to come up with $500. So a lot of our people um, 
are sitting in jail, innocent until proven guilty, but can't get out because they can't afford $500. So that's something, uh, um, a reform policy that we really need to look at and work on. When we're also um, on the reentry side, so something that's just been moved to general file in the legislature is SNAP benefits um, for people who have felony drug convictions. Um, the United States, the federal level, has um, deemed for each state to be able to say what the ban is for people who have felony drug convictions and being able to receive SNAP benefits. And we're here in Nebraska trying to push for that ban to go away because people who are coming home after incarceration, after serving their sentence, if they need assistance with getting food, they cannot access the SNAP benefits. And um, that's just another barrier that people are having to overcome after they've done what we've asked them to do and pay their debt to society. So there's just different um, different ways that we can reform policy um, and or dismantle systems. So that's uh, just a couple of ideas right off the top of my head that we've been looking at from the standpoint at work. So as mayor, as, along with justice reform, what else would be you know goal number two for you? Yeah, so public safety for me is looking into criminal justice reform from a standpoint of how our local police department is operating and how um, people are coming into contact with our law enforcement here. So for me, some of the policies that I'm wanting to implement is one, we have a behavioral health and wellness unit that was started as a pilot program. And right now I think there's about three mental health therapists that are staffing that unit. And I am a firm believer in prevention and proactive approaches. So ensuring that this unit is resourced and funded at the level of calls that we get to address when people are in mental health and substance use crises, we can prevent them having to go into jail based off of being able to meet them where they are and address the needs that they're going through at that moment, connecting them to community resources and services that address uh, the mental health or the substance use um, that they're dealing with right in that point in time. We're also um, looking at public safety from a standpoint of creating or, or not creating, but bridging the trust between community and police. Um, as we saw this past summer with the protests and there's tr there was this so much distrust after that. And how do we ensure that all people in our community feel safe around law enforcement. So it's trying to make sure that one, we are operating transparently. Um, what that includes is an independent uh, oversight committee that's not tied to the police department or uh, the mayor department uh, or mayor office. It's making sure they have authority to investigate and to give disciplinary actions and then also making sure that that's a transparent process that the community sees. Um, we also have to address any misconduct. So those are some of those uh, reform pieces that can happen to bolster our community relationships with uh, the police and to uh, bring the trust there and ensure that we're operating better than what we have been. So as mayor, after you've been in office and enacted all these changes that you hope to enact, what would you imagine Omaha like in five, 
to 10 years? Man, Omaha would be a place where people actually want to stay, where people don't want to leave, um, and where people would recommend. Um, so what that means for me, I was part of the Urban League of Nebraska Young Professionals um, when we issued a survey after it was found that African-American young professionals were five to six times less likely to recommend Omaha to live, work, or play. And we partnered with the Chamber of Omaha and UNO, um, one of their evaluation programs, and did a survey that really looked at why is that the case. And we put in um, this work and got these um, the feedback and recommendations came out and um, people don't find Omaha inclusive. So for me, in five to 10 years, it's how are we ensuring that Omaha is becoming more of a welcoming and inclusive place? Because we do diversity well. We're a very diverse city. We just have to start including and, and, and being inclusive and then doing equity well. So that way, kids in high school who are trying to determine if they're going to stay here or, or leave, they're not faced with it. I'll just leave because I don't see myself staying in Omaha or when they leave to go away to college and say, yeah, I'm not going to go back because I don't see myself in Omaha. I see Omaha as being um, as comparable with places like Denver and um, Dallas and, and Kansas city. So people aren't just moving to these larger places, but they find themselves connected and, um, and, and, and building here in Omaha. So, so that's my vision is to be more inclusive and equitable to where we're welcoming to everyone. So people don't feel like they have to leave to succeed, but that they can stay here and build here. I've heard lots of people talk about a more equitable and a more inclusive environment, but how would you differ from other democratic candidates? We always have to keep at the forefront when we're talking about how do we become more equitable and more inclusive is intentionality. You have to lead from an intentional equitable, equitable lens. And what that means for me, um, so like our Douglas County uh, Health uh, Board of Health has declared racism a public health crisis in Douglas County. The city needs to be a partner with them in addressing that public health crisis. And we need to lead from an anti-racist lens and start addressing how we um, are investing intentionally in neighborhoods that have been um, left out of progression. Um, when we are putting in new city services, how are we ensuring that it is equitably accessible from every area of the city? Those things matter. And that's how we start looking at it from a, um, an equitable standpoint and how we become more equitable. And it's not even just in that. It's also in the processes and procedures and how we operate in the city government. So we'll, we'll have to look at um, what policies are in place and how are they impacting populations within our city. So, for instance, there is... Um, a legislative bill that has been introduced in Nebraska, which are called um, racial impact statements. And what that means is when anyone brings a bill through the legislature, it'll have to go through the, it'll have to state how it's going to impact different groups in our state, um, whether it's African-Americans, Latinx, um, what would be the impact on these groups of people with this uh, law that you're bringing in? So taking that same concept, 
and using that across, whether it's a city ordinance or a city policy that's coming into play. So there's there's ways that we can do that. And I'm all for making sure that we have equitable access and opportunities for everyone, regardless of zip code. How do you think the current administration could have done better in enacting changes that you would like to see? Right now, I think the current administration has an us versus them kind of um, mentality. And people don't feel like government is accessible, like they're not being heard by the current administration. And from the start of this campaign, it has always been about including including people, inclusion. That's, that's number one. We have to include it because I'm a firm believer that Everyday people have the solutions to the challenges that our city is facing. They just need the access and the opportunity to ensure that their voices are heard and validated and their suggestions are taken into consideration. There are many people, like you said, across the city that says, hey, you know, we're okay. You know, we're doing okay. We don't don't need the changes. But I will um, come back and say, but everybody in our city isn't okay. And we're not going to be able to grow as a city until everyone is at least okay. And we should want to be better than okay. Omaha can be great. And bringing in a new mayor, bringing in me with my skill set and experiences and the coalition of people that I'm building across the city to build a better Omaha with people. This can be the Omaha that we all want and, and can design together because we're going to work together to do it. And how would you get the attention on the mayoral race from people who, you know, don't even care? They're just going to think about the election the day of the the day of the polls and they, you know, vote for the name they recognize. How would you get those people involved to maybe have a different outcome on voting day? Yes, that's what we're doing right now. It, we are people powered. Our, um, our team and our super volunteers are out here um, in all neighborhoods talking to everyone and just really galvanizing people around how we can create an Omaha for the future. Because right now it's not a, an Omaha for my generation. It's an Omaha for my children who are seven and six and those you know who are younger than I am. We need to include young people in this process because it's going to be their city. It's going to be your city and we need to build that for you. And so that's how we're getting people involved. It's, it's not about saying uh, the current administration um, is horrible. But what we're saying is that it's time for a change. We see a new direction and we want to bring more people into how we can design an Omaha that's going to work for everyone, regardless of zip code, and be that Omaha for the future. And for the students that listen to this podcast, if they're too young to vote or they um, just want to support you in any way they can, how can they do that? We have so many opportunities. You don't have to be at voting age to help the campaign. Um, If you go to voteforjasmine.com and click on volunteer, we have opportunities where you can um, text people for us. You can call people. Um, You can also 
go and do uh, literature drops at people's homes. Um, so there's just all kinds of ways, and especially social media. We have it uh, where we need social media advocates, um, and that is sharing the message on your page and just you know talking about who Jasmine is and the vision that she has to include everyone to ensure that Omaha is going to be a better place that benefits and works for everybody. And would you have any personal message for the students that listen to this podcast? Dream big. There is nothing that you cannot do. If someone would have told me when I was a freshman in high school, senior in high school, even in college, that I would be running for mayor of Omaha, I would have told them no. Um, So dream big because it can happen. Thank you. Um, before we wrap up here, is there anything you'd like to add that we didn't mention before? Um, I just think we're in a fight for our future and I'm here to be that proactive and inclusive leader who's going to be the partner in city hall, ready to work hard from day one and including everyone as we are building this Omaha. It's not going to be just Jasmine building it, but I'm here to build it with you. So I am truly grateful for the opportunity to talk to everyone. And I believe that my skill set with my background in public health, criminal justice reform and policy advocacy is really the skill set that we need to move Omaha forward. Thank you. And I guess that's goodbye then. All right. Thank you. Sorry. The (laughs) hardest part about a podcast is ending the interview. You know? (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode. If you have any questions, comments, or a suggestion for a future episode, email me at omahapodcast at gmail.com or send me a message on Twitter at omaha underscore podcast. Thank you for listening.